I firmly believe that, you know, life happens in the spontaneous moments. And I like to say life happens in between the items on your to-do list. Because when we have a to-do list, when we have a script, when we have an agenda, and those things are needed. I understand you need to have an agenda. We can't just be running around wild. But when you give yourself permission to have some spontaneity, to allow yourself to just go with what's happening in the moment, that's where discovery happens. You want a career that plays to your strengths and is mindful of your energy and social battery. You dare to dream big, but you also love a quiet dinner on the couch in a big comfy shirt. If this is you, then welcome to the Awfully Quiet Podcast. My name is Hannah. I'm a corporate go-getter in the body of a quiet, sound-seeking introvert. I build iconic brands for a living and run a business that is dedicated to get more introverts a seat at the table and in positions they thrive in. Think of this as a weekly heart-to-heart -heart with your workplace confidant, someone who recognizes your massive potential and nudges you in the right direction with strategic finesse and a killer guest lineup. Find your favorite quiet spot and get ready to go places. This is the Awfully Quiet Podcast. This is one of those moments where I need to pinch myself. Is this really happening? As my alarm rang at 5am this morning to make it to this podcast interview, it felt like one of those early morning wake-ups where something really exciting is about to happen. Like getting up to go to the airport, going somewhere new and adventurous. And that's exactly what ended up happening. Definitely what it felt like. Today, I am joined by Matt Abrahams on the podcast, lecturer in organizational behavior at Stanford University's Graduate School of Business, host of the award-winning podcast Think Fast, Talk Smart, and author of the book Think Faster, Talk Smarter, How to Speak Successfully When You're Put on the Spot. If you are looking to get more comfortable with spontaneous communication at work, being able to respond when you're put on the spot in a meeting, or when asked questions you're not really prepared for, this conversation is for you. In this episode, we talk about the prep that goes into spontaneous and impromptu speaking, why this is such an important skill in the workplace, and some really tangible tools to help you deal with the nerves and anxiety around speaking when put on the spot. All the way to the end of the interview, Matt shares his personal take on one of my most dreaded spontaneous speaking situations at work, which is small talk. I'm walking away, almost wanting to talk to a stranger at the office now. So get ready for some life-changing aha moments in this episode. Now, without further ado, let's jump into the interview. If you're anything like me, you're in for more than just a nine to five. You crave career opportunities that play to your strength and what you do really well. And frankly, you do not shy away from putting in the work. You're ambitious, ready to go all the extra miles. But here's the thing. You feel like your quiet nature is holding you back from being noticed and seen in the workplace. You're struggling to articulate your unique strengths and the skills you bring to the table. And you're lacking the confidence to speak up in meetings and be taken seriously at work. And what tends to happen 
is you are underestimated and overlooked when it comes to the career opportunities you secretly desire. If you nodded your head to any of the above, consider this. What if the key isn't changing your quiet nature, but strategically leveraging it? Brand Your Quiet is my signature online course designed to help you take your career to the next level in a subtle way. Here's how it works. It helps you see your introvert personality in a whole new light and reframes your perspective to see how it is not a disadvantage, but gives you a unique edge, an opportunity to stand out. You gain clarity on the direction you want to take in your career, knowing precisely where you want to go and why. You uncover your unique strength and learn to articulate your skills to hiring managers, senior leadership, and recruiters effectively. Truth be told, conventional career advice predominantly caters to extrovert personalities, but that doesn't mean you can't achieve the same success, the same outcome, the same impact with a quieter, subtler, introvert-friendly approach. Brand Your Quiet is a self-paced online course you can complete at your own pace and time and while comfortably sipping your coffee on the couch. And if you're ready for some social interaction, you can join our monthly office hours to check in on your progress, ask questions, meet me and other participants of the course. Ready to see your career soar with a quieter, introvert-friendly approach? Join Brand Your Quiet today via the link in the show notes. Matt, thank you so much for joining me today and welcome to the Awfully Quiet podcast. Thank you so much. I am really excited for our conversation. Me too. Now, you are a lecturer at Stanford Business School, an expert on communication, the podcast host of Think Fast, Talk Smart, and you just released a book with that very same name that I've been snuggling up to in those past couple of weeks. It has also wow. got really cold in Europe. What I really love about you and the reason I resonate with your content is the fact that you were also in corporate and a lot of your examples are geared towards a corporate experience. To start us off, what I'd love to understand from you is what are some examples of spontaneous speaking in the workplace and why is this such an important skill? Well, if you think about it, most of our communication is in the moment. It's answering questions, it's giving feedback, it's introducing yourself, it's making small talk, and all of that happens in the workplace. When we think about communication in the workplace, we tend to think about planned presentations, pitches we've practiced, or meetings that we create agendas for. But the reality is most of that communication is not planned. It's actually what we do in the moment. So we, we really do have to focus on this. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't think about how best to do that. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. When I read through some of your academic publications and book titles, it goes, speaking up without freaking out, how yes. to shine when you're on the spot, how to make a compelling pitch, think faster, talk smarter. And I just go, yes, yes, yes. I want all of that. <laughs> And um, the audience of this podcast are introverts in the workplace. And when I polled them on how they feel about spontaneous speaking in particular, close to 100% of them said that they are mortified. Now, how much of spontaneous speaking is actually innate and natural talent or something that only the extroverts achieve versus a skill that we can actually practice over time and hone? So I believe all of us can develop better spontaneous speaking skills. Many of us feel we're just not that person. We don't have the gift of gab, but in fact, it is 
something that we can all learn. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in the life of the students I teach and in the people that I coach. Now, not everybody starts at the same place. People Mm -hmm. have either by experience, predisposition, whatever, have perhaps a little more experience or are more open to doing it. But everybody with a little repetition, reflection, and feedback following a methodology like the one that I present in the book can really benefit. And I want to just take a step back. I I have a strong position on introverts. You know, many people think that introverts (laughs) are you know, the goal is not to be introverted. The goal is to be extroverted. And that's absolutely not true. The The academic research supports that you need people of both types. Often the academic approach to communication and collaborating in groups is the stronger, better way of approaching it in terms of being reflective up front, being focused on others, being empathetic, taking time, taking turns, all of those skills, which tend to align with introverts more than extroverts are absolutely critical to success in business. So my wife is extremely extroverted. I'm sorry, extremely introverted. I'm extremely extroverted. And uh, I know lots of introverts who add a tremendous amount of value to the workplace and and elsewhere. So uh, it might be a little harder for an introvert at first to feel comfortable speaking in the moment, but absolutely can learn how to do it. I love that you're saying that. And that gives us a lot of uh, confidence, especially when it comes to, I know that a lot of speaking spontaneously is also tied in with being able to listen really well, which is also something that introverts are, you know, naturally really good at. And I love how you're saying that some of the introverted tendencies actually lend themselves to become great communicators, great speakers in uh, the workplace. So I love that. You often, you reference spontaneous speaking quite often in your book, actually versus prepared presentations. And when I think about prepared presentations, I'm thinking TED Talks, speeches, anything that a lot of prep goes into, whereas there's a script, almost a lifeline to hold on to. What differs in terms of the prep, the tools, and the mindset we need for spontaneous communication? Yeah, so that's a big question. So, so let me break it down into parts. And first, you're right. You know, many. I think one of the big travesties of the success of TED Talks and and other opportunities people have to be up in front of lots of people planned speaking is it sets for all of us a bar for what we expect all communication to look like. And the reality is when somebody asks you a question, asks you for feedback, or you're making small talks, you're not on a TED stage. I've been on a TED stage. I've coached a lot of people on TED stages. It's very different. And a lot of practice preparation and even editing goes into some of those talks. We don't have that luxury in spontaneous speaking. So part of the problem is we we have the wrong rubric, if you will. We're comparing ourselves in the wrong way. You know, it's as if I were playing basketball with my friends and I was judging myself by professional basketball player standards. It's just not the right standard to measure by. And so one of the things that gets in the way in terms of our mindset is that we we are trying, striving for something that's really difficult to achieve. And many of us put a lot of pressure on ourselves to do it right, whatever that is. And in fact, I'm here to tell you, there is no right way to communicate. There are better ways and worse ways, but there mm. is no way. So not only do we have to change the the rubric, we also have to change what the goal is. So the goal is not perfection, it's connection. So we need to dial down that volume that we have in our head, trying to get it right, judging, evaluating, memorizing, all of that gets in the way. And it boils down simply to cognitive bandwidth. Your brain can only process so many things at once. And if part of what I'm doing is evaluating and judging everything I'm saying, 
I have less cognitive resources to actually focus on what it is I'm saying. So we need to turn that volume down. I'm not saying eliminate it. We do have to judge and reflect on what we say, but a lot of us do more of that than we need. So that's the number one step is to change the way we're evaluating our success and to put less pressure to do it right. The next thing we have to think about from a mindset point of view is to see these situations as one of opportunity and collaboration rather than as one of threat and challenge. Many of us in the moments of being asked a question or asked to give feedback, we feel threatened by that. And instead we should say, hey, there's an opportunity here. And even in the most challenging of situations, we can find some commonality. So address uh, adopting a mindset of collaboration and connection versus one of defense and perfection uh, can really change how you approach these situations. Yeah, I love that. And I reckon at the end of the day, it's a lot less about us and a lot more about what we're trying to achieve, what we're trying to say, especially in the workplace. At the same time, it feels difficult to make that shift away from being all too focused on myself and how do I come across, you know, are people judging me? How am I being assessed for what I'm saying and how I'm saying it to actually looking at what does the audience need from me and how can I make sure that everyone else walks away with a really good experience from this? H how do we make that shift away from being all too focused on ourselves to being focused on the audience? Absolutely. It is critical to do. In the podcast I host, where I've interviewed over 100 communication experts, the number one bit of advice is exactly what you said. It's about mm. your audience, not you. Be audience-centric. Focus on the needs of the audience. The best way I've ever heard it put was by Julian Treasure, who's a listening expert. He said, what is the listening that I am speaking into? And that's saying, they're all saying the same thing. So your question is a great one. How do I do that? Well, the first thing to do is realize that this is a very common problem. In fact, in psychology, this is known as the spotlight effect. We mm. walk around the world imagining that a spotlight is on us and everybody wants to is judging and evaluating us. And while there is judgment and evaluation, everybody else has their own spotlight on them and they're worried about it themselves and in their head that they're not evaluating and judging you as much as you tend to think. So we have to remind ourselves that that is intense as it feels it's it's not that intense from other folks. Second, often when you are asked to speak in the moment, people are asking you because they have a desire to learn or to hear or to connect from you. So when somebody asks you a question or asks you for feedback, they believe you have an answer that's valuable or you have information that can be useful. So we have to remind ourselves that we have value to bring. And in fact, using a mantra or positive affirmation like that can actually dampen down the negative self-talk we have when we reflect on ourselves. The second thing we can do, and this is really hard, but amazingly beneficial, which is to record yourself, maybe practicing mm -hmm. answering questions, or if you're in a work situation and it's you're on a Zoom or a Teams or a Meet where it's being recorded, go back and watch it. And as painful as it is to watch yourself, you will notice one thing for sure, that you look and come across differently than you perceive it. This is a well-known fact. It's a, it's a perception gap between what we think we come off in in our communication and what others see us as. So we call this the real versus feel gap. So I mm -hmm. might feel that I'm coming across as tentative or unsure. But when we watch ourselves, we realize I didn't look that way. And the reason for this is quite simple. 
when you communicate, you have access to a lot more information than the people who see you communicate. So for example, I know what I wanted to say or could have said. You don't. I know how fast my heart is beating or how much my leg is quivering, but you don't. And so you just see what I show you. So my students, my MBA students I teach, we have them watch every video, every presentation they give, we record, and they have to watch every one of those, not once, not twice, but three times. The first time they watch it with no sound, the second time they listen to it with no video, and the third time they see them together. And each time they learn and see something different. And that's how we feel more comfortable and realize that we are in service of the audience and what we are demonstrating for the audience often looks more confident and comfortable than we feel. Yeah. I really like the examples of recording yourself. I feel like this is something that we rarely do when it comes to corporate or in the workplace, because it's just an assumed skill. It's just, we all assume that we should just be natural communicators, natural speakers, and actually taking the opportunity to do that. I find a lot of value in that. I feel like Once you start recording yourself or seeing yourself for the very first time, there's a little bit of a dip in perception of like, oh, this is really bad. And then it it does get better over time. And I agree with you. It's it's painful at, at first, but then really, really valuable. Absolutely. And I love that you've done it. That's great. Yeah. So some of what you mentioned actually brings me into the topic of nervousness and, and bodily reactions. Now, What happens to me when I'm put on the spot in my day-to-day -day corporate job is my mind goes blank. It's almost like a, a black screen in front of my inner eye. It makes it impossible to think straight and sometimes makes me lose a um, train of thought entirely. Why does this happen and how can someone like me take back control in these situations and when put on the spot like that? Right. So it, 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 the reason people blank out is because of their anxiety. And, and actually, our worry about blanking out increases the likelihood that we'll do it. So, you know, the first place to start is to manage anxiety. And as you mentioned, my first book, Speaking Up Without Freaking Out, is all about techniques to manage anxiety mm -hmm. based on academic research. So we can do it. And when we go to manage our anxiety, we have to take a two-pronged approach. We have to manage both symptoms as well as sources. Symptoms are what you physiologically experience. It might be the rapid heart rate, the shakiness in the hands, the sweating or the flushing. <laughs> and, then, and then there are the, the sources, the things that actually initiate and exacerbate anxiety. And we've talked about some of those already, the need to be perfect, the feeling of the threat. Those are sources that can be addressed as well. When it comes to blanking out, I have some specific advice I give. There are things we can do in advance of speaking, planned or spontaneous, that reduce the likelihood of blanking out. And there are things that we can do if it actually happens. So if you'll allow me, I'll give you some examples of both, if that's okay. I would love that, yeah. So prior to, thank you, prior to speaking, the, the two things you can do besides managing some of the symptoms are one, do what we call rationalization. It's a cognitive behavioral approach where you think to yourself, what is the real likelihood in all honesty, of you blanking out the next time you speak on a, uh, from zero to 100%, most people report that the real likelihood is probably around 20% of the time, which means 80% of the time you won't blank out. And if I were a betting person, I would take those odds any day. So we have to remind ourselves that even though it looms large as a fear, the reality of it happening is actually quite small. Hmm. And take the rationalization, take the step, next step, which is if it were to happen, 
what is the worst thing that would happen for you and your audience? Well, it would certainly be embarrassing. It would be awkward. It might set you back in your career a little bit. But if you think about it, and this is where everybody has to go back and be honest with themselves, have you ever in, in your life done something embarrassing in front of others that made others feel awkward and that might have set you back a little bit? And for most of us, the answer is not only yes, but many times. And as a result, we've still survived and been able to su succeed. So when we rationalize, we realize that it's not as likely to happen. And if it were to happen, it's not as bad as we think. And just by doing that process, it tends to ratchet down the anxiety, which makes us less likely to blank out. So that's the first thing, rationalize. The second thing to do is to leverage structure. And it is my hope that we will talk more about structure before we're done. But structure is nothing more than a roadmap. So it's not a script. It's not word for word, hmm. but it's a direction. And if I have a structure, for example, a very famous structure many people have seen, if you've ever watched an advertisement, problem, solution, benefit. You start with the problem, you then talk about the solution and then the benefit. That's a structure, a logical connection of ideas. If I'm presenting and I blank out and I'm like, oh, I just presented the problem. Well, I know solution always follows problem. That gets me back on track. If you have a map, it's hard to get lost. That's what you do in advance. Now, if you actually blank out, first and best thing to do, go back to go forward. Repeat yourself. So if you've ever lost your keys, how do you find them? You retrace your steps. Same thing was true with speaking. If I can't remember what to say next, I just repeat myself and it will likely get me on track. And then the final thing to do, if that doesn't work and nothing else has worked, distract your audience. So if in the midst of speaking, I forget what I want to say, simply ask them a question. And that question will occupy them long enough while you get your, your place back. You only need a fraction of a second. I teach the same class every quarter, twice a quarter. I've done it for 13 years. I might forget. Did I say that in this class? Did I say that last quarter? When did I say it? And if that happens, I simply stop and I ask my students, I'll say, let's pause for a moment. I want you to think about how what we've just talked about can be applied to your lives. And my students aren't thinking, oh, Matt forgot. My students are thinking, how does this apply to my life? So mm. all of us can have a question at the ready. You, so if you're on a team- So you repair work, that before. Right, exactly. Like a back pocket question. So you, mm. if you're at work, you could say, how is what we just talked about apply? How does what we've just talked about change what you're working on? You could ask that question in almost any circumstance and it would make a difference. So I know I gave you a long-winded answer, but it's really important. You can actually rationalize and have a structure to reduce the likelihood of it happening. If it does happen, go back to go forward and have a back pocket question. I love that it's twofold in terms of it gives me a strategy of, you know, how what do I need to switch in terms of mindset in order to approach these situations? But it also leaves me with, with a bit of a toolbox of things that I can actually do in terms of having that question prepared, kind of retracing my steps and saying what I just mentioned. And I also noticed there are a couple of other tips when it comes to approaching spontaneous speaking engagements at work, how to communicate in those instances and things to do that might make us feel a little more comfortable. Now, you refer to this as the AMP in your book. Can you talk a little bit about what you personally do in those situations in order to feel more comfortable? Thank you for that question. So an AMP is simply an anxiety management plan. So there are many, many techniques that you can use to reduce anxiety. Everything from deep breathing to cognitive reframing to positive affirmation, lots mm. of things we can do to feel better. And I encourage everybody to find techniques that work for them. And the resources that I provide 
that you can get at my website, mattabrahams.com, in the books I write, in the, in the podcasts I host, lots of other places. The, the idea is to find some of these techniques and then test them out. And once you've tested them out, then craft a plan, three to five techniques that you can use before you present, during when you present spontaneously that help you and make that your AMP, anxiety management plan, because anxiety can actually amp you up and help you focus if used appropriately. So I have a technique I use, I'm happy to share. There's several that I use. First thing I do is I take a deep belly breath. If you've ever done yoga or Tai Chi, it's that kind of deep belly breath with the exhale twice as long as the inhale. It is in the exhale that the magic happens. So if you take time to take that a couple deep breaths with a longer exhale, you will actually feel much better. You'll reduce that pounding heart rate. Your your everything will slow down. Your speaking rate, your volume will come down. Uh, so I, I take a deep breath. The next thing I do is cognitive. I remind myself that I am in service of my audience and have value to bring. So before I got on this call with you, I said to myself, "I have value to bring." I took a deep breath. It helps calm me down. And then the final thing I do, and this one's going to sound silly, but I say tongue twisters. For me, I can get ahead of myself and I can get ahead of what I'm saying. I can get worried about, am I making sense or not? So I need to bring myself in the present moment and saying a tongue twister can help you be present oriented because you can't say it right if you're not in the present moment. Similarly, a tongue twister warms up your voice. So it allows me to practice. You, A lot of us go from silence and hope we can get to brilliance. But if you're an athlete, you warm up first, right? So we should warm up our voice too. So by taking deep breaths, reminding myself that I bring value and saying a tongue twister, those are the three things that get me in the moment and ready to communicate. Excellent. I, I love that you shared that with us. One that I've taken away is because I usually get super warm when I speak. I, my, red, huh? my face turns red. And I love the thing about the something cool next to me, like yeah. iced water or having the window open and it's, it's such simple things and something that we can have in our toolbox and it's absolutely fine to use and even the experts do it. So yeah, I, I love the idea of an AMP and that personal toolbox. Thank you. And, and yes, so what happens when many of us get nervous, our heart beats faster, our blood vessels tighten up and we're forcing more blood through tighter tubes. It's like you're exercising, you get hotter and we need to cool ourselves down and the palms of your hand serve as thermal regulators for your body. You know, on a cold morning, when you hold warm coffee or tea in a mug, it warms you up. And we're just doing it in reverse. Hold something cold, it'll cool you down. And I'm glad that works for you. It absolutely works for me. I use it all the time. Yeah. yeah. The way you speak about spontaneous speaking in your book almost makes it sound like fun. Now, what you advise is to embrace the disruptive moments and be open to respond in a way that is not practiced is not a pattern or doesn't just has our autopilot kick in. Talk to me about how embracing the unknown of spontaneous speaking might actually amplify our corporate experience, might help us to develop and grow, maybe even be seen in a whole new light. Absolutely. I firmly believe that, you know, life happens in the spontaneous moments. And I like to say life happens in between the items on your to-do list. Because when we have a to-do list, when we have a script, when we have an agenda, and those things are needed, I understand you need to have an agenda. We can't just be running around wild. But when you give yourself permission to, ha to have some spontaneity, to allow yourself to just go with what's happening in the moment, 
that's where discovery happens. That's where innovation and uh, disruption happens. So we have to remind ourselves, think about the times you have been, you've had a wonderful, spontaneous conversation, small talk, chit chat, whatever. How did that happen? Chances are you weren't looking at your watch. You weren't thinking, I have to say this to this person. You were just in that moment. So we have to allow for space for us to have those communications. When I was in the corporate world, a lot of the creativity, the best ideas came from those spontaneous moments when people were riffing and just one person said one thing, another said the other, you know, versus very dogmatic approaches. So it's not about one versus the other. It's about blending the two. The problem is most of us have the very rigid strength. The, those Our muscles are big and plan presenting and going through agendas. And so we need to strengthen those other muscles so that in the moment we can make choices to be spontaneous or to bring ourselves back to the agenda. So it, great things happen in the work environment when you are open to those spontaneous moments. And I even think we can start to test it out step by step. Ever since I read that, I started to challenge myself a little bit and to just understand and identify whenever I'm on autopilot and whenever I'm following a pattern that I always follow, when I answer yeah. questions in meetings or when I'm being asked something that I'm not quite prepared for and, and noticing that and allowing yourself to then test in a safe environment and say, I'm just going to do it differently this time, I think is a great way of approaching this step by step. You are such a good student of the ideas in the book. So the whole idea in the book about heuristics, right? Which heuristics yeah. are patterned ways of behavior that often help us, but they also wedge us into a way of being. And if you can, as just as you said, find a safe environment in a small way to test a few of these, and that's what can help you. So this is why I'm a huge fan of Toastmasters or a huge fan of taking improvisation classes, because when you do those things, you allow yourself in a safe environment to try on that letting go of those heuristics and seeing what things are possible. And after you do that a few times, you realize that great things can happen in those moments and that can really help you. So I encourage you and everybody listening to find avenues that allow you to play with this so it becomes easier for you. Yeah. I, I love that. And I'm I'm gonna continue to do that. I appreciate it's a lifelong uh, journey uh, oh, that we're absolutely. on. We can always improve. <laughs> yes. Now you bet. there is. Before we close, I've got a corporate scenario for you that I would love to get your take on. And you already mentioned it. And, and to get some really practical tools of how, how we might approach it. And it's small talk. Mm. Let me tell you how I feel. So for me, the first two minutes on a call are always the most daunting. It feels to me like there isn't a script. There are no rules. I don't know what to expect. And quite often I find myself logging on just two minutes after the meeting started in order to avoid the small talk. Now, I know that small talk can be really important and can help us build connection in the workplace. So how do we make it work for us? So I think small talk gets a bad rap. I think we need to rebrand small talk. Small talk is actually big things can happen. You can learn a lot about yourself, about somebody else. You can collaborate and create in those moments. And the problem is when everybody does what you do, which is I'm going to be two minutes late, I don't want to do the small talk, then everybody's two minutes late. And the person who's actually later than that, now you're now everything's just incrementally moving back and the same challenges exist. I, I have somebody I interviewed on my podcast. She's a friend, but but also she's an academic and interestingly, a matchmaker. And what 
she taught me, I think, is, is a great mantra for all of us to have when we go into small talk. And it's quite simple. The goal is to be interested, not interesting. And a lot of us put a lot of pressure on ourselves in these small talk situations to be interesting, to contribute in a meaningful way. And if all you do is try to be interested, that is be curious, ask questions, connect with other people. Those are naturally intuitive to many people, especially introverts are very good at, at asking questions, being curious. So it's not about serving that ball over the net and scoring like you do in tennis. It's really about keeping the ball afloat and volleying back and forth. So being curious can be very helpful. So when you walk in, we did that today. Today, when we started this call, before we started the recording of the actual podcast, we had some light chit chat. We talked about what time of day it is. We are in very different time zones. We talked a little bit about the weather. That was a very natural conversation, but it was one of curiosity. And that's what got us to the next step. So I encourage everybody, when you're at work, be curious. And if you remember something about a colleague, start there. You might say, wasn't one of your children playing in a big uh, sports tournament last weekend? How'd that go? Uh, and then that gets the, the conversation going. So remember something about your colleagues, comment on something you all have in common. Maybe there's a big all hands meeting in the morning and you're meeting in the afternoon. You can say, hey, what did you think about what they said in the all hands? Great way to start a conversation. So be curious. It's all about uh, connection be interested, not interesting. And that can help you in those circumstances. And isn't that a lovely sentiment for introverts, especially because we'd love to, you know, shift the focus and the spotlight away from us to the others in the room. And I feel like that's a really important shift for us to make. So I really find comfort in what you've just described. And I promise I'll, I'll join some of my next meetings on time in order to be there for the small talk. <laughs> Well, you've just publicly told everybody you don't. So I, I just I think, did. So I think I'm, you, be I'm I think have you to. better. <laughs> yes. Matt, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I've learned so much today and I'm sure my audience will want to come running for the book and for the podcast. Now, where can everyone find you, listen to your podcast and buy the book? Excellent. Well, thank you so much for this opportunity. I love your insightful questions and I love how you represent not just yourself, but you represent people like yourself who are introverted. And, and I think that's wonderful. So thank you. Uh, best place to find me is mattabrahams.com. Everything I do is there, including a bunch of resources that will help people uh, find ways to feel more comfortable and confident communicating. Additionally, I'm huge on LinkedIn. I do a lot there. Please, please show up and, and join the conversation on LinkedIn. L consider listening to Think Fast, Talk Smart, the podcast. It is all about communication. Lots of tips about managing anxiety, how to structure content, how to be creative in what you say, how to persuade, negotiate, et cetera. So thank you. And, and I really enjoyed our time together. Likewise, Matt. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Awfully Quiet podcast. I am really committed to change the narrative of what it means to be awfully quiet. So if you know someone who would benefit from this episode, please share it with them. New episodes are dropping each Tuesday, and I can't wait for you to tune in next time. Oh, and if you want to bring a big smile to my face today, leave a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast. It means the world to me. See you next time. 